This week on The Real Estate of Life with Kevin Riles and Friends, Kevin presents part one of a two-part series on Apartment Investing 101. So lean in and listen up for another informative episode of The Real Estate of Life with Kevin Riles and Friends. Support for this program comes from the Digital Broadcasting Network, presenting podcasts and web series from everyday people who have an extraordinary passion to make the world a better place. My name, my name is Kevin Riles. I am uh, just a little bit about uh, who I am. Uh, I am a native of Houston. I grew up here in Houston, grew up on the southwest side. Uh, you know, those, that other city like Missouri City. Grew up in Missouri City, uh, offices in Sugar Land. Uh, went to Woolery's High School and then I went away to college uh, in Atlanta uh, and came back uh, here uh, to what I thought temporarily working for Exxon and what I thought to be um, you know, just a temporary going back to Atlanta, and then I fell in love. Hold on, kids. Yeah. Right, so uh, uh, the way I got into real estate is I'm an engineer, computer science, computer engineering major, working for Exxon Mobil, uh, looking for my first house, uh, was looking for a traditional three bedroom, two bath, two car garage, a 322. In Texas, I always say we have two rights in Texas trucks and 322s. Uh, and so uh, I had a friend of mine introduce me to another engineer who was a Engineer by day, real estate agent by night. He said, why are you buying a 322? Why don't you buy a duplex? And I said, I, I don't know. Why, why, why would I buy a duplex? He said, you can live in one side and run out the other. Uh, and so I bought a duplex, 2801 Wheeler, on the corner of Wheeler and Delano, one block away from Texas Southern's HPE building. And that was my foray into real estate investing. So I thought that I would have my real estate. I said, well, Craig, the guy that sold me that particular property, uh, has his real estate license, so I'm going to get my real estate license, and I'm going to do it on the side as well. Well, uh, you never know how life take, takes you. Uh, engineer turned real estate agent, it became a career for me. So for the last 20 years, I've been a full-time uh, real estate broker. Started off on the residential side, and over the last 10 years, I uh, have uh, moved over to the uh, commercial side. So my business, just like that uh, capability statement says, is, is a small boutique business. Uh, I was known as the foreclosure guy, my claim to fame. In Houston real estate, at least amongst most uh, older realtors, is I used to have the contract to list all the HUD foreclosures in Houston. Uh, so I used to list about 100 properties a month with that contract. So you see those numbers at 3,500 or whatever is on there. That's where those numbers came from. During the height of the foreclosure crisis, I listed foreclosures. Uh, and so how I got into commercial is a lot of those guys that bought my uh, foreclosures would then come back to me and say, now I've gotten to my Fannie Mae bucket is filled up, my 20 uh, properties. If y'all know if the buckets or not, or if I got to my 10, I want to start buying multifamily, small multifamily. So I started brokering small multifamily. So my specialty is small multifamily, as defined by plus or minus 100 units. Um, out of the six apartment complexes that I sold last year, um, the average unit count was about 35 units. Right? So the 72, so the 24. So right at 100. So, and the reason I do that is a couple of reasons. One, from a business standpoint, Grubbin Ellis, Cush Wake, HFF, all the big guys, um, they sell the two and three and 400. And I've, I've sold larger unit counts before. I, trust me, I would do them. So, you know, if you want to buy a larger unit count, let me know. Uh, but what I have found is they think the small stuff is kind of like beneath them. And I can eat real well as a broker. Uh, and uh, one of the things we learned in B-School is chaos theory. And chaos theory says that when there's chaos in a market, if you can provide order to that market, you can take advantage of that market. Uh, so I'm trying to provide order to the small multifamily market here in, in Houston. So with that being said, I market to about 3,500 um, multifamily 
homeowners or, or, or property owners per month. And that's from duplexes all the way up to about 125 units. I send them something monthly, I'm making calls and things of that nature. So I'm pretty active in that small multifamily market. The other reason I do that is I typically get to work with folks like yourselves. I, I don't mind working with institutional investors, but I grew up working with everyday folks that are just trying to uh, build their wealth over time. And so I just feel comfortable uh, uh, in that uh, market, providing them with big level expertise, uh, even though they're buying uh, smaller properties. So that's a little bit about me, a little bit about my company. Uh, my company is, is huge, it's me. Uh, it is uh, my wife uh, works with, she just come, came aboard uh, last year to work uh, with me full time. I have my team partner, uh, Eric Odom in the back uh, there. I've known Eric uh, since uh, sixth grade and he is uh, my, my buyer's agent and kind of helps me generally uh, as well. And then um, on occasion I'll have a, a, a virtual assistant help me kind of with some of my marketing stuff. Speaking of which, before I get into the education tonight, uh, I did set up, I send out, and that's one of the things that, uh, uh, that uh, I guess got me here, I send out every Monday, I, I call it multi-family Mondays, I send out a list of every multi-family or apartment complex on the market in Houston, whether it be my listing or not. Uh, I, sometimes when I have my, uh, well not sometimes, when I have my listings, you'll see them at the top. Uh, and I do that as a service uh, for people that don't have access to loop that uh, or, and or don't know how to coagulate all of the different. So if you want to be on that list, um, it's real fancy now, constant contact allows you to text. Uh, and be added to the list. So that's that little uh, note at the bottom on the front page there. You just have to text. It'll text you back for your email address and you're added. Uh, and if you like the information, great. If not, you can unsubscribe. I also do a weekly podcast called The Real Estate of Life with Kevin Riles. I'm on my 60th episode of The Real Estate of Life with Kevin Riles. And basically, I do this on the podcast. I do it video and I do it on Apple, uh, iTunes, and uh, Google Play. So if you search my name, uh, if you're a podcast listener, Kevin Riles on uh, iTunes or Google Play, uh, The Real Estate of Life. And so the call of Real Estate of Life because I talk mostly about real estate, but I'm kind of a motivational guy, so a little bit about life uh, as well. So this week, I'm talking to a client of mine who I've helped buy uh, some funeral homes. He's in the funeral home business. We're going to talk about real estate and death. Uh, so um, you know, just, you know, I'm a nerd. I like that type of stuff. So um, with that being said, apartment 101. Apartment 101. Apartment 101. Uh, how do I invest in, in apartments? I've given this talk many times. I give it over the phone. A lot of times when people call, just so I can get a sense of the room, how many of you own investment property right now, just in general? All right. How many of you own small multifamily already? All right. All right. How many of you own big multifamily? All right. Doesn't want to leave the big folks out there. Might have felt some kind of way. My stuff is big. Yours is not. All right. So, um, at the offset, most of you, it seems like majority of the room have at least one uh, investment property. What I'm going to tell you is something that most commercial brokers may not tell you. Owning an apartment complex is not that difficult. It's the same thing as buying a single family house. Right? So let me just get that out of the way up, up at the front. The same analysis that you do to look at a single family investment, it's the same analysis you will do to look at an apartment complex, to, to evaluate an apartment complex. Do you need to know more terms? Yes. But due diligence, does it make money? Is everything working? Inspecting it, doing unit walks, it's the same thing you would do, you just have more than one unit, all right? Thank you very much, and I'm gonna go down there. So with that being said, uh, you don't have to 
think of this as, oh my God, uh, you know, it has four units or it has eight units or it has 70 units. Uh, it is the same process whether you buy 10 units or you buy 100 units, right? Uh, so uh, there are a couple things that I, I uh, want to go over, uh, and I put some terms up on the board, but uh, first and foremost, I kind of want to uh, tell you uh, uh, kind of about the Houston market, and that will allow me to kind of go over uh, some of these terms. First and foremost, um, we live in uh, a market that is uh, HOT hot right now. Uh, Houston's multifamily market is hot. It is making deals harder to find. But my single family investors also tell me that that is the same case. Right now it's hard to find a deal uh, because everybody uh, is uh, HDTV uh, and they're property brothers, which I love property brothers. You know, watch it a little bit, but it makes the, the deals a little difficult to, uh, to find. Everybody in their mom thinks they're a flipper. Uh, so with that being said, uh, the good news is that we're in a strong market. Uh, the not so good news is that um, that has caused pricing uh, to go up. So one of the things that I wanted to talk to, so as we go over apartment one-on-one, what I'm basically going to do is go over these terms. Uh, and I think if by going over those terms, that will allow me uh, to uh, kind of introduce you to different uh, concepts as far as uh, apartment. One of the things that you will hear uh, in, in apartment investing, so term number one, if I was teaching, is CAP, C-A-P, CAP. Anybody know what CAP stands for? Cap rate, what does cap actually stand for? Capitalization. Capitalization, all right. I win nothing. But so capitalization rate, what does that mean? What does capitalization rate mean? So capitalization rate uh, means uh, it is a measure of value at any given set point. And that's very, very important. At a set point at a certain time, at the end of the year, or at a quarter, or whatever the case may be, it is a measure of value. So I put the formula for um, value up there. NOI, which is net operating income, divided by cap rate equals the value. So why am I starting off talking about cap? As you look at um, multifamily apartments, investing in apartments, how do I measure the return on an apartment quickly to be able to compare one property to another? How do I measure that? I measure that by measuring the cap rate. And the cap rate measures how much net operating income is coming in. So which takes me to the second, I'm gonna flip back and forth between the two. Net operating income is literally what it means. It's the net operating income. I know it's real smart, right? Uh, so what do I mean by that? You have your gross income, how much rent you're getting, subtracted all your expenses, and then you net out what you make at the end, right? Because at the end of the day, as an apartment investor or any investor, that net operating income is really what you're looking for. How much money am I going to make? Now, net op now uh, cap rate does not take into effect uh, how much debt you have on the property, right? It just says, how, if I bought this property cash, what would essentially be my quick return, right? And so, as I talk about caps in Houston right now, because of the type of properties I specialize in, which are, uh, are um, older properties, I'll get to different classes in a second, um, Cap rates for older properties or C-class properties, which I'll explain here in a second, uh, are pushing down. So if cap rates are down, values are up. It's inverse. Right? I know people are like, I didn't come from math class. But all right, if the cap rates are down, if you're seeing low cap rates, that means the values of the properties are up. Right? The reason uh, you, you see that is because the fact that 
there's a, such a high demand for yield right now. Everybody's chasing a better yield than the stock market is giving them, right? So where can I place my money? And that's basic supply and demand that we've all taken at some point. The, the, the lower the supply, the higher demand, the higher uh, the price. And so at the end of the day, cap rate is a measure, right? A measure. So in apartment investing 101, when you're looking at a property, you're looking at the net operating income. And you want to know what does that mean if I'm looking at two different properties as far as net operating income. Those properties don't have the same number of units. They're not in the same part of town. They're not in the same condition. How can I compare those two properties from an income standpoint? And so what cap rate does is give you a quick measure to say, hey, if I bought this property at a seven cap, it would be this, this value. If I bought this other property at a seven cap, it would be this value. Which one is higher, which one is lower, right? So it's a quick measure. It is not the ultimate measure nor the only measure, but it's a quick measure. If you call my office uh, and ask me about a multifamily property that I'm listing, nine times out of 10, a commercial broker is gonna say, well, it's you know, listed at $2.4 million and the cap rate, we listed it at a six and a half cap. And that's why I'm going over the cap very quickly because as you start shopping for this, the brokers or people that you, or investors that own will say, oh, I think I want seven cap for it. And so they won't even tell you the price. They just might tell you the cap rate. Well, in order for you to get a price, I need to operate. So can you send me the financials so I can calculate to see if that's, that's correct, right? And so if you look at, uh, and I'm gonna jump around a little bit. I put, these are two actual properties that are on the market. I put their financials in my little packet here. Um, if you take the one, the Scott Gray real estate, uh, Scott and I have done some deals together. He has a property inside the loop. This is a 20 unit apartment complex here. You look down at the bottom, it says net operating income, 200,414, 200,414. All right, so if inside the loop, this, I didn't put pictures in here, uh, but this, is, this place is decked out. I mean, travertine on top of travertine, gold, different from the ceiling. I mean, this is really laid out. So. Um, so the cap rates for A-class properties right now, which that one, I would consider that A-class property, uh, is around 5%, right? So 5%. So what you would do, if, if you call me and I was listing this property and say, hey, we want to set uh, our whisper rate is, is 5% cap, you would divide 5%, you would divide, sorry, 200,000 by 5%, and that gives you four, $4 million, right? So if you notice, on here, he doesn't even, it's so good right now, multifamily brokerage, we don't have to give you a price anymore, right? We just say determined by market. You tell us what you want to pay, and we may call you that, right? And so these two properties right here that I have on here are the financials, they don't have prices on them. It's not like single family where I want $200,000 for this property. I want, you know, right now, it's so much demand that the brokers are saying, here are the financials, you tell me. And then we'll go back to the owner and say, hey, they offered a four and a half cap. Or they offered a five and a half cap, right? We probably in the back of our minds know what we want, but that's how much the demand is. So just to give you an example, if you want to, to, uh, to know, at five cap, assuming these numbers are correct, which we'll go over here in a second, this is a $4 million property. At 5.5 cap, this is a $3.6 million property. And at a six cap, this is a $3.3 million property. So you can see those changes in caps make huge differences, right? And because of the demand for product, stuff that used to sell for, say, a six cap, which is a low cap, by the way, right? They're pushing five, 4.75 caps, which, I, which 
beyond the scope of Department 101, but it, it becomes hard to make money as a normal investor when the cap gets below six, in my opinion, unless you're paying cash, right? Unless you're paying cash. So think of cap as my how much return I'm going to get. The lower that goes, right, the higher the price the seller gets, but the lower your return is. So right now, to be a seller is an awesome thing. To be a buyer, maybe not so much, depending on where you get the deal from. All right, any questions about that? Yeah, you have to feel free if this is free flow. Okay, so the lower the cap rate, the higher the price. The higher the price, not so great for investors. Not so, <laughs> so it depends on the reason, I, I don't want to be absolute. Yeah. Depends on the reason you're investing. Some people doing 1031 exchange, I need to apply, apply this money. I'm gonna play the appreciation game and not the cash flow game. I have a fourth unit under contract right now inside the loop in the medical center. The reason they're buying that property is because Uncle Sam is whooping their butt and they don't care as much about the cash flow, so they paid a little bit of a premium for a property because they actually kind of wanted to, to lose money. Not lose, lose money, they're gonna pay the appreciation game. So I don't wanna be absolute, but yeah, typically the lower the cap, uh, uh, investors want, we want double digit caps, that's what we like. Yes, sir. Uh, I guess, is there a limit to how high a cap rate should go before it? That's a red flag. Oh, oh, good question. So if you see a 14 cap, out there, you're like, what? 14 cap? Oh my God! Yes, please. Can I? Um, um, in this market, that just just being nine and a half, I'm wondering what's going on. Like, if it's real numbers, uh, which again, I'll get to the to actuals versus uh, in the games that people play as far as that's concerned. Uh, but no, regardless of the cap, you have to do your due diligence and see if the numbers are real, because because owners and brokers will make up numbers. I got to be one to bring it all the way back. Okay. So, where's the cap rate coming from? Like, what's calculated? I see, I see function of price, mm -hmm. but how? So, so that's a good question. So, people always say, "Well, where do you get the cap? Well, how do you know what's a good cap, what's a bad cap?" Is what you basically ask them. Um, um, knowledge of the market, using a broker that knows the market, reading reports. Uh, you see the report, which I'm gonna go through here in a second. That these are readily available on the internet. A lot of the larger. Uh, companies producing JLL produce this. By the way, if anybody knows JLL, I did put their logo on here. I just put mine and said compliments. I don't want to play Just thought I'd throw it out there. But uh, so there are cap rate surveys that are published quarterly in all major markets that'll tell you what the average caps are. Um, but basically, that's a function of, of knowing the market. market. There's no uh, there's no National Association of Cap Rates that you can call and say, what's the cap rate in Houston right now? Gotcha. It's just kind of what deals are trading for. Okay. Yeah. But as far as what you're saying about the cap rate, basically if you had a million dollar property, you paid a million for and you're making a hundred thousand dollars net operating, you can get a ten percent cap. Yes, sir. So uh, ten cap all day. And right now you would have people banging on your door to, to, yeah, to buy Luke, it. Luke has got a car wash advertised for 24.5 right now. 24.5 yeah. cap? If I see that, then I think that you yeah. calculated the cap wrong. because uh, I mean and this is not an indictment, you know, this stuff I've come to familiar over the last 10 years, um, you know, not everybody knows what cap rate is, and so that might be a cash on cash that they're calling, like people don't really know, some brokers don't know what it, what it is, yeah. Um, and then how can you, um, car wash, I, so I do 60% I do multifamily, 40% other, and my other kind of is a hodgepodge of stuff, cash business, so show me the quarters, you know, show me that 24%. All right, um, so cap rate, right? We got a little sense of, again, this, you know, this class could be you know, hours and days long. So uh, cap rate, net operating income, net operating income, right? 
we're not going to go over this because this is really will be a math class, but IRR, you'll hear some of us uh, in the business. Uh, uh, I'm a, uh, just got my CCIM, which is Certified uh, Commercial Investment Member, which is kind of like the CPA of commercial real estate. Uh, got it last year, and one of the things that they uh, banged us on uh, are not just looking at cap rate as a measure of performance. So the terminal rate of return, or sometimes called the hurdle rate, uh, is what does my dollar make once it's actually inside the investment, right? Cap rate tells me if I bought it cash and I made the money, then this is what my likely return is. And terminal rate of return says once my dollar is churning, I bought it and I'm looking, what, what, what is my return while my dollar is circulating within the investment? Why is that important? Is uh, because internal rate of return is a, a, a measure um, that is not static. It is, it is ongoing. Cap rate is how much did it make in the last 12 months? And this is the cap rate as of today. This is the cap rate. Internal rate of return can be calculated pretty much at any time. It is telling me how my dollar is doing inside the investment. Again, beyond the scope of this, but I just you might hear it every once in a while, internal rate of return or or hurdle rate. Uh, I'm gonna skip around. So I'm gonna go to pro versus act. Pro forma versus actuals. Pro forma versus actuals. So if you look on the very last page in the, in the back, this is a, a, another inside the movie that's on the market, just came to the market actually today. Uh, 28 units. Um, stabilized, I, I love our vocabulary, so just haven't done this for a while. Stabilized NOI, uh, 318,398 on an annual basis. Stabilized, meaning when it's stabilized. So the, my first question is, well, is it stabilized now? Or are you selling me on, when I get it stabilized, it'll be 318. So like little, little stuff like that means stuff, right? So that might not be the, the net operating income now, that might be once you put your magic dust on it, you're the greatest owner ever. You do all implement all this stuff, and then born on a Tuesday, left-handed, boom, now it's stabilized, and you can get that. So every owner wants to sell at its most optimum uh, net effort income. So I'll print this out because I like, um, this is uh, Tom Wilkinson's uh, uh, Houston Income Properties. They kind of do their performance like this. I just like to play with the vocabulary because for you guys, you may look at this, you might just look at NOI and say, oh, okay, that's the NOI, and I'm, I'm good but it gives you a good sense of kind of how we present uh, properties. So with that being said, if you look down at the um, expenses, um, you'll see that he has uh, December 17th through November 18th expenses. Uh, and uh, what we call that is a T12, trailing 12, right? What's happened in the last 12 months. And so long story short, um, what will happen is sometimes I won't sell a property in, at the end of the year. I'll sell it in March. So what happened from this March to the previous 12 March so I can get a full year of what really happens? Because if I, and what some brokers will do and some owners will do, they had a really good January, a really good February, a really good March. Okay, I want to put it on the market. I want you to annualize everything that happened in those first three months and make that how the, the property performed for, uh, to show those numbers. You don't want to show you had 50% occupancy in <laughs> October, November, uh, in December. So those are little kind of little tricks that, that uh, you'll see. But long story short, pro forma is if everything is working like it's supposed to be, this is how much money you're making. That's what pro forma is, right? It is, it is optimum conditions. Actuals should be actuals. 
In other words, what actually happened? So you will typically see on one side, pro forma, if everything is working like it's supposed to be, if you implement this, or if you manage it better, or if, if we had a capital expenditure last year, we had to replace all the air conditions, but that's not gonna happen anymore. So this year, so pro forma is optimal conditions, actuals are what actually happened. Then there's a thing, sometimes I'll see, uh, and I've done this too when I listed property, modified actuals. Modified actual means I have almost all the information except for a couple of data points, so I'm gonna estimate on those data points, right? I, modified actuals, I just sold 16 units that closed last week in Galveston, and they didn't have a property manager. Most people that buy a property in Galveston are gonna have a property manager. So I took their actuals and I added a property management fee. So I called them modified actuals because most people are gonna have a property management fee and I, don't, I would rather be a conservative broker and tell you most likely you're gonna want a property manager because it's in Galveston and you're buying from Houston. But if you don't, just take that fee out, right? So, um, and sometimes as brokers, talking about pro forma versus actuals, when I initially sold that property, uh, the owner, 84 year old guy, last property you sell and literally sent me a box of receipts. Those were my financials. Uh, and so I had to, at least he had them in folders by month, so I had to have my virtual assistant, scan, I scanned it all in, sent it to her, and she calculated the expenses one by one by, uh, by one. And I had to come up with the, uh, with the uh, expenses. So with that being said, pro forma, you never really want to make decisions solely off pro forma. You can look at performance and say, yeah, hey, if I'm owner, I mean, if I, if I own it, I think this is, this is how I would run it, so I can kind of see what the potential are. At the end of the day, you really want actions as much as you possibly can. But the market is so tight right now, some, some owners are like, that's the performance. I might give you some actuals, or I'll annual, annualizing my actuals is taking my best month and saying that's how it is all the time. So again, little things that you have to uh, uh, to do. Uh, so, any questions about uh, pro forma versus actual? Keep me good on time. I'm a preacher's kid, so I'll keep talking. Um, you get to about eight o'clock, and then eight o'clock, uh, you may want to get into a open discussion. Okay. Uh, they're they're going to run us out here right after eight thirty. No, no, that's fine. Yeah, I'm not. If I go to eight o'clock, then y'all they're going to be mad at me. Uh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I should have finished in the next fifteen minutes or so. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you mentioned about the uh, property man. Yeah, you said only in Galveston. Okay, so no, no, no. I, I was saying with that particular property, the odds are most people would have a property manager because if they buy it from Houston, they're not going to be running to Galveston. Well, you got to live out here, but most people would not be running to Galveston. They would want a property manager. So you're suggesting that they used to not to get a. No, no, no. I, I, I suggest that's based on your own. Uh, as my grandma said, that's how the spirit leads you and what you want to deal with phone calls and all the other stuff that comes with it. Uh, uh, I, am, uh, I would rather manage the property manager than manage the property. I'm at that stage. Uh, as far as my, uh, I, I have no desire to, to manage that property. So, yeah. But, but that's, that's five to six to seven percent of rents that I've been given up to do that. So, you know, a lot of, I have one uh, client that, uh, the fact client that sold that, they were trying to manage it from sugar land and they just capped out. They just, they, that's why they sold it. They just couldn't, and I said, "Well, just hire a property manager." Okay, no, no, we, we, you know, they, they were engineers and just had to be there, so they'd rather sell it. So, 
Um, and then they also started investing in triple net investments uh, as well, uh, our commercial like re retail centers. Um, pro, pro forma versus actuals, any questions? Right. So pro forma is just basically that's your budget. Uh, yeah, you can look at it like that. Budget so much for one year, then this is what you're Pro forma is optimal conditions. If I'm at 75% um, occupancy, I'm going to do, do pro forma at 90%, right? But right now it's at 75%. But I'm telling you, this pro forma, these are my assumptions when I do my pro forma. Usually you'll see notes that says, I'm assuming this, I'm assuming that. If, if I know there's some capital expenditure that needs to happen, then I'm, I'm assuming, uh, I'm, I'm putting those in my pro forma. Is this kind of all income? Uh, no, it's income and expenses. Yeah, yeah. your pro forma, profit and loss statement. Hey, thanks for listening as always. Do you have questions about any of the topics I'm talking about? If you have questions, let me know. Email me at kevin at kevinriles.com. Again, that's kevin at kevinriles.com. I'm going to do a podcast just on the questions uh, that you guys are sending to me. So feel free to send them to me. Again, that's kevin at kevinriles.com.